Hello, and welcome to the NCA's podcast. Today's podcast is called Media Literacy and is brought to you by Neptune Navigate. My guest today is Christina Jontra, Chief Navigator for Neptune Navigate. Welcome, Christina. Welcome back, I should say. <laughs> Thank you. It is good to be back. Yes. So Christina has done a podcast with us before. It was called Digital Citizenship 101. She also had a webinar, I believe, that's on our um, YouTube page as well as on our webinar page for Digital Citizenship 101. Um, but today she's here to talk to us about media literacy. So thank you. It's great. Um Great to be here. And for those that weren't able to listen to that podcast yet, could you give us a little bit of an introduction for yourself and what Neptune Navigate is and how it all came to be for you? Sure. I started out my career as an English teacher, high school English teacher. I thought I would do that forever because I loved it. Um, but things evolved. So I went from an English teacher, uh, then I went into instructional technology. I was a librarian which is the natural progression of an English teacher and for someone who loves to read. Um, but then I ended my career uh, as the director of digital learning at a private school here in Tyler, Texas. And my job there involved starting our one-to-one -one iPad program, um, what, 14 years ago, uh, I think it was. And so it was in that position um, that I saw the great need for a comprehensive digital citizenship curriculum. Um, and so uh, I, uh, if you want to hear the more detailed uh, story of how it started, go back and listen to the first podcast on digital citizenship. But the short version is I knew that I needed to um, better educate our school parents on how to manage um, all of this technology that was already in their homes. I was seeing kids um, uh, get into trouble and make really poor decisions that were gonna have long lasting impact on them. And so I put together a PowerPoint presentation for our school families. Um, and uh, I, we had a, a, a I did the presentation for our parents, and I did that several times over the course of uh, a semester. And it just kept, I just kept getting invited to talk about this and to help. I mean, parents just were just begging for resources. They knew they were overwhelmed. They knew that their kids were doing, well, actually, what they were telling me was, I have no idea what my kids are doing on their phones all day. I mean, I also always see them looking at their devices. What are they doing? And so just trying to educate parents. And so that um, that ended up in 2018. I left school and started Neptune Navigate. And it is a, a K-12, actually pre-K. We have a pre-K module, which I love. But it's a pre-K digital citizenship curriculum um, that we provide to school. And we cover... And a ton of a ton of topics from cyberbullying to digital footprint to privacy to tech laws, um, media literacy, the topic we're going to talk about today. And we we work with um, right now we have over 200 school districts um, all over the country. We have about 50 Catholic schools that we work with. Um, and what we're trying to do is empower students to be responsible digital citizens 
and to develop skills they need to succeed in the digital world where we know they're spending so much of their time. So that's, in a nutshell, that's, that's what we do. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. So today's topic is on media literacy. So what is media literacy and how would you define it? Okay, man, this topic is so important. So media literacy, the definition we work with is says that media literacy is the ability to access, analyze, evaluate, and create media in a variety of forms. And so when we look at that definition, there are four parts to it. Access, analyze, evaluate, and create. Now, we have no problem accessing information. None of us. Our elementary students don't have a problem, and our senior adults have no problem accessing information. In fact, some people have said that we are in, I love this phrase, an infodemic, uh, an epidemic of information. We have access to more information than our ancestors ever dreamed of. Um, we're bombarded with so much information on a daily basis. And um, at the end of that definition, so it's access, analyze, evaluate, and create. Our students, man, so many of them are so good at creating media. They have learned how to uh, take pictures, how to create uh, cool dances that fascinate me. Um, they've learned how to create media so much faster than, than so many adults have um, because um, that digital native that we, uh, uh, title that we've given them. Um, so accessing and creating, they don't really need a lot of help with those two pieces of media literacy. What they need help with is analyzing and, and evaluating the content that uh, that they that they do access, and we all we all need that. Um, analyzing and evaluating it, it it's it's paramount because what the statistics tell us is that for eighteen to thirty four year olds, forty five percent of eighteen to thirty four year olds get all of their news from social media. And and look, you can look at newspaper sales and at uh, TV news, uh, local and national, the numbers have plummeted. We're, that's not, I mean, it's funny to talk to our students about the idea that you could only see a, pro, a TV program at, on a specific day at a specific time. That concept is completely lost on them. And so this idea of the, the, 10 o'clock news or the six o'clock news, they're like, why would you be tethered to only getting your news on, you know, three stations? When I was growing up, we had three news stations in Dallas and, uh, and two newspapers. That's where we got our news. And that just, that concept is lost on our students. And so they're getting their, their information from so many different channels that they desperately need to be taught how to analyze and evaluate all that information. 
That was a really long answer when you ask for a definition, <laughs> but that's what you're going to get. <laughs> no, and I think I think it's so important because we've grown from the days of Wikipedia is bad and not a source of you know quality information to we've gone past that. And we've now gone into social medias where people are getting, you know, where students are getting information. We still have some of those wet, you know, different chat boards where information is not always accurate when it's shared out. Uh, And you're right, newspapers and watching the news really has started to fade away with a lot of our students. So I think it's really important to define that those are the two pieces to this media literacy point that our students really need the most support in. Um, yeah. And I think foundationally to that, and, and I've tried to figure out, and I've talked to my elementary teachers about this is one of the concepts that seems to be lost among all of us is what is a trusted reliable source how do you how do we start teaching that at the very beginning who who do we trust what are the characteristics of a trusted reliable source and one of the one of the examples i used to give with junior high i know you said you taught junior high listen Props to junior high teachers. I say this all the time. This is just extra. I am grateful that God still calls people to be junior high teachers. And I'm still glad that people will say yes to him. Because that is, man, that is my favorite age group. One of the examples when I was first trying to figure out how do we teach that? Because we have so many sources. One of the ways I would do it was I would go into a class and I would pick the kid in the room who always seemed to know everything that was going on in school. And I would say to the class, hey, because at at our private school, believe it or not, we did not have um, school uniforms. Uh, It it was a great disappointment of mine um, because I really wanted my kids to go to school with school uniforms anyway. I would go into the class and I would pick the kid who seemed to know everything that was going on in school. And I said, hey, to the class, hey, I heard John, I heard John telling Jim that he heard that the school board is considering school uniforms for next year. What do y'all think? And they would talk about how, no, no, we don't want school uniforms doing it. And then I would turn the conversation around to, wait, John is always spreading rumors. John's always telling us, how do we know that what John is saying is true? Where did John get that information? So we'd have this great discussion trying to establish who who I get my news source from, who I get my information from. Am I asking hard questions of that source. And um, so that that's just a lesson that I'm really struggling with. Where do we start it? And how do we walk that out through the course of a, a student's education? I think it is so important today that we that we figure that one out. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I 
I did teach middle school. That was my last two, two years was an eighth grade um, history and religion teacher. But prior to that, I was a second grade teacher. And one of the hardest concepts, hardest concepts for a kid to get was the difference between fact and opinion and how to identify fact and opinion in a sentence. And I think that this conversation really kind of goes, and I know I'm getting a little off topic, but goes down to really helping students understand that point and then the differences of a reliable source and a not reliable source, because I think it's twofold. I think they have to know that just because a reliable source says something doesn't mean that it's not an opinion. Absolutely. That, yeah, if we could do more lessons, just, just, just throwing out like, um, you know how, I don't know, when I started my, my teaching career, we always wanted to do an icebreaker or something that would grab the kids' attention and, you know, just just a steady uh, stream of, of giving them examples of a sentence in elementary school and saying, is this trying to identify, is this a factor in opinion? Yeah, that, man, that, that would go a long way to by the time they get to high school and doing research of being able to identify that. That, yeah, we need, yeah. We need to do more of that. Yeah. So sorry, I know that's a little off topic, <laughs> but what, you know, is there a need for students to learn? And we've started kind of this discussion, but why is there a need for students to learn media literacy? Well, um, I looked to, there was a MIT Sloan researchers in 2018, which man seems like forever ago, but they did, they did a deep research and they, they specifically um, looked at Twitter And they found that falsehoods were 70% more likely to be shared than the truth. So they were picking um, a number of specific tweets and they would put them into two camps, things that were inaccurate and not true and things that were true. And, And fake, false posts were 70% more likely to be uh, shared than the truth. And then they found from that, that 1,500 people would get those fake, false information six times faster than the truth. And so, you know, in the previous um, podcast, when we talked about how social media amplifies everything, what we're finding is what it amplifies faster and stronger is inaccurate information. And so as a, you know, former librarian, I think I can see my library, you know, in my, in my, in my mind and on two walls of my library on that far left wall in big, huge letters was nonfiction. And then on the opposite wall, on the right-hand side, in big, huge letters was fiction. And so there was a time when we could go into a library and know this is fiction and this is nonfiction. And the internet doesn't give us that, uh, those kind of labels. And so um, because so much um, inaccurate information is so 
uh, fast and easy, easily shared. Man, we need to do a good job of teaching our kids how to identify it. Well, and it's, you're right. And it's so important for us to help with identification of it because so many schools have reduced down on their libraries because of the internet and because of um, the access to resources. But the art of finding facts in our non-facts, in our non-fiction texts, has has really gone away. Uh, we're not seeing as many schools, middle schools at least, um, doing those research papers and requiring text. We're seeing more of you have to have so many articles online and they have to be verified sources. But I think that aside from that, really teaching students how to go and look for information in a text is important because, again, it's identifying the difference in language. It's identifying the difference in fact. But that that text aspect to it is is really important in, in my eyes. Yeah. And one of the things like one of the the, the activities we would do, I would do with one of my um, sixth grade English teachers was we would give sixth graders um some research topics and then we would say go and go to the internet and find one website that gives you information about this topic and it wasn't the purpose of the and 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 so they would go and find find their one website with information on the topic but the purpose of the um activity was then they had to defend and explain why that source was an authority on the topic. They'd have to identify if the purpose of the source they gave was to inform or entertain or persuade uh, or educate. What was the purpose? Identify the purpose of the article. And then, and this is so hard for sixth graders Considering the authority of their of their of the author, um, did that author have a bias? And man, bias is so important to teach, and at times really hard to teach. Um, but it's time that well, I think we need to take. And and students, man, they would struggle. I, I, I'll never forget a kid who found an article. That was on uh, a BBC, uh, BBC's website, and they struggled to explain why the BBC, who is a uh, authority, <laughs> a trusted news, a news organization that follows existing uh, um, rules of journalism, they struggled to be able to. Uh, explain why why the BBC was a trusted news source. And, and that just told me we have much work to do, um, that our kids need this. We, we look, I know our curriculum uh, is, we have a lot that we need uh, need to teach kids and, um, and, and we're having to add to it all the time. But this area is so important. They've they, we have to teach them how to uh, analyze and evaluate what they're finding online. 
Thank you. Yes, we really do. So what are some examples of times when understanding media literacy would have been helpful? What are some thoughts on that? Well, I think the obvious one is during an election cycle. Um, and let's all guard our hearts for what's coming in this next presidential election. Because it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you, you are on, it becomes so contentious and the, it seems as though the amount of information that we are given is um, uh, just increases exponentially. But if you think back to the pandemic, um, that was a time when our social media feeds were full of all kinds of information and knowing how to analyze and evaluate and get our information from trusted sources, determining who is an authority on this and who's not, what is the purpose behind um, this person sharing this information? Um, because what, if we go back to that study I mentioned from MIT Sloan, one of the things they said is one of the things that causes us to quickly share information online is when we see something that gives a, an immediate emotional response. And that emotional response they found falls into two camps. Either it is surprise or disgust. And we quickly will share something that gives us an emotional response rather than in the... You know, we ask students to do this. We ask kids whose uh, um, frontal lobe of their brain is not fully developed. We act, ask them to think before they post. But I'd like every senior adult to think before they post because we're spreading so much um, bad information. I think, I don't know, maybe you'll agree with me. I think one way that we can be good neighbors um, is to, in our social media, to, to think before we post, to uh, analyze and evaluate sources before we post them on social media. Um, what I beg parents, what I beg everyone to do when they're on social media is just slow down, slow down. And so when you're surprised by something, when it, don't just immediately share it. Think about what what you're you're putting out in the world. Think about even think about what you're clicking. You know, part of, of a good media literacy education is teaching kids to identify clickbait online, because one of the things that's going to stop um, all of that uh, clickbait kind of of uh, media that we see in social on social media platforms one of the reasons it stays there and and is so um so present is because they're getting results because we're clicking on it because we keep giving them what they're wanting which is our clicks um, and so teaching kids to identify clickbait is a great part of a uh, media literacy education but but the need for it, pandemic was a great need for um, knowing what a trusted source is. This upcoming 
uh, election cycle, it's a great time to know who your trusted sources are. And one, I'll give you one great resources, all sides. Oh, allsides.com. I think it is. I'll have to check. Allsides.com is a great resource. And what they'll do is they will give a headline, news headline, and they will give it from three different sources. And one of the things teachers can do is to just give that to their students and try to identify, is this coming from a source that is more often leaning to the left, or is this a more centered uh, headline, or is this from a source that leans more to the right? And just being able to have that develop that skill of seeing how one news event can be um, headlined in very different ways. It shows our kids the power of the words that we choose, which I think is uh, another great skill that media literacy can teach our kids. But I think that I think that answered your question. Uh, it did. Okay, it did. Thank you. So sometimes Google can't be trusted as well. Um, you know, we all kind of use Google for pretty much everything at this point, although there are a couple other search engine platforms that can be popular. But it doesn't have the ability to filter out untrustworthy information so is or untrustworthy sources. Um, so is yeah. there a way that we can use Google to really hone in on that trustworthy information and sources? Yeah, you know, I think the first um, lesson that we give students is that their search results in Google, in any search engine, first doesn't mean best, first doesn't mean reliable. So the 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 example I always give students: pick any three uh, any three unrelated topics: butterflies, um, George Washington, uh, uh, minimum wage. Google all three of those, and what you're going to find is that one of the top three results for all of those is going to be Wikipedia. Like you said, we have moved beyond, thankfully, we have moved beyond just saying Wikipedia, no Wikipedia. Because look, Wikipedia can be a good source. Um, the way I use it is I will go to a topic, I'll scroll all the way down to the bottom, and I'll look at their sources. Because that, when I'm doing research, sometimes that's a great starting place where I can get some really good sources. Um, so just teaching students that first doesn't mean best, doesn't mean the most reliable, um, that's one, one place. And then teaching students, look, because, and I keep, I keep saying this, and I hope I'm not beating a dead horse, but because we consider them digital natives and because google looks so easy because there's when you go to google there's just that search window i guess I have to put in my search terms um but i still see people putting in full-blown sentences into that search window that's not good searching um i think we need to teach students how to use search operators you know quotation marks um I like to teach students how to use a, a site operator, you know, where you can limit your searches to just give me results that come from .edu sources, because those .edu sources are 
only going to be sources that are from um, uh, colleges and universities. Does that mean that all of those will be uh, true, trustworthy, and reliable? No, but that gives me a leg up. That gives me uh, um, uh, at least a place um, from which to start rather than just doing a general Google search. Um, I will say, I'm going to give you this for free and 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 we'll we'll mention this at the end that I'm going to do a webinar um, on media literacy. And one of the examples I'll give in that webinar, I'll give you a, a heads up on because this is the best one. And I found this, man, it's probably been 10 years ago on Wikipedia. Um, and that was, did you ever read the best Christmas pageant ever? Do you remember that book? Um, it's a it's a popular play that 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 we give, but. You remember that? Yeah, I think, I think I do vaguely. (laughs) Vaguely, I think. Okay. So uh, at our school, um, a fourth grade teacher always read it aloud to fourth graders uh, right before Christmas break. But the Wikipedia page, I found this really about 10 years ago. And it, and, and, and thankfully I took a screenshot of it. Why? Because on the internet, everything is permanent. Nothing's ever really private. That's just a callback to our previous uh, webinar, but because I can take a screenshot of things, everything is permanent. And so this uh, Wikipedia page will, for me, live forever. And I'm just going to read you just one little bit uh, from the uh, Wikipedia page from the best Christmas pageant ever. It said that it tells the story of the 625 Herdman children. Now, just so you know, the poor Herdmans did not have 625 children. I think they had, oh, I should have looked. I think they had six, but they definitely didn't have 625. And then it goes on to describe the, the Herdman children who were poorly shaved and not exposed to Churchillian retriculation systems. And they found themselves buried in lead mines. Now, None of that is true <laughs> no. about the best Christmas pageant ever. And so my point to, to you, to our listeners, and to students is Wikipedia is fine, but if you came to uh, the best Christmas pageant ever page the day this was posted, and it did get edited, but if you get to information that is inaccurate or just flat out wrong, if you don't know you can be easily duped, uh, easily uh, believe something that's that that's not accurate, and so um, and so we have to be able to analyze and evaluate our uh, our our sources. And this is just a great example from from Wikipedia. But it takes me to um, work that was done out of Stanford. They did, I don't know if you've heard of the Stanford History Education Group. They did a study and they released it in 2016 and where they, 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 they used uh, middle school, high school, and college students. And they gave them a variety of tasks like they gave uh, middle school students a web page and said, identify the advertisements on this page. And they couldn't do it. Because now web web uh, websites advertisements uh, look like news articles, 
even right. though in, in little bitty fine gray font, it'll say sponsored. Um, we don't pay attention to that. Um, they ask college students to look at a Twitter post and, and ask if this post, um, they ask them to evaluate the post. And uh, the majority of students were not able to identify that the organization making the post had a particular bias to the information that they were uh, uh, promoting in their post. And, and the sentence from, from this report that, that I think should motivate us as educators to really be engaged in, in teaching media literacy is this quote. I'm going to read it to you. It says, when it comes to evaluating information that flows through social media channels, they, meaning the digital natives that they were, uh, they were um, evaluating, they are easily duped. And that was middle school students to college students. And so I think it is imperative that we, that we engage students in this in this way. And one of the things that came out of that study was this concept of, um, of lateral reading um, of, because when I first taught middle school, we taught the students when you were trying to determine if a, if a, an internet source was reliable, we told them to click on the about us tab on the website and, and, and read it. What, that was such a bad idea. <laughs> Because what, you know, that source on their own website are not going to say, we uh, have this certain bias. We, uh, they would say if they, if they were just trying to entertain, because um, satire is, is lost on middle school students. Um, so an, a, a, a site like The Onion or Babylon Bee, um, that, that satire is lost on, on uh middle school students and frankly is lost on some adults but <laughs> yeah. lateral reading which came out of this uh, Stanford report taught us lateral reading which was to get out of that one source you're looking at and go find out what else you can find you can find out about them what make where you're trying to determine what makes this person this site an authority um what is their bias? All of those things. Lateral, we, we cannot, I can't stress enough how important it is for us to be teaching this skill, especially to our high school students. And you can do it in any, right. any, any course. It fits in any course. Right. And I remember, you know, I remember being in college working on research papers and a professor saying to me, when you look at your resources, can you go in, go in and see how many times they were quoted? So before you use it as a resource, see where else it's being used. Um, and I always, that was always so impactful to me just because, and you know, I was an education child and adolescent development. So a lot of my topic was rather easy for quote, cause you have very, you know, you have some really great researchers that have been quoted throughout history in that, in that topic. But it's harder when you look at some of the new courses of study for that to be to for that to be what you utilize to determine a reliable source. So trying yeah. to figure out these different ways to determine it, you know, is is 
is important for our kids. Right. And when, and when we're getting so much information thrown at us, um, it, it, it's just, it, it's so hard. I like to, to show the example, and this happens every time we have a hurricane, every time there's, and I'm in Texas. And so we get, you know, we get this a lot. Um, but when there's a hurricane and there's flooding, say down in the Houston area, God bless Houston. They, they have to deal with this so often, but there is a picture every time there's a hurricane there is a picture that will show up on social media every single time. And it is a picture that appears to be a shark swimming on the highway. I mean, you go back to Katrina and every hurricane since then will be, oh my goodness, this shark picture. And and it gets shared, retweeted, shared so, so much. Why? Because... It is so surprising. It is so mm-hmm. shocking. It gives us an emotional response. But one of the things we could teach our students uh, is how to do a Google reverse image search. And so when you do a Google reverse image search on this particular picture, you'll see hoax, hoax, hoax. And you can see the history of every uh, every hurricane since Katrina where this um, uh, picture has been shared. Um, right. And man, that skill of being able to identify uh, images, listen, it's going to become more and more important. I mean, Photoshop geniuses out there are not doing us a good service uh, uh, on social media because, man, if we see a picture of it, we will believe it and we will share it. <laughs> Uh, even right. if it is ridiculous. Right. So how do we teach this media, you know, media literacy and really what is the solution that at least solution is probably not necessarily the right word because it's constantly changing and we're constantly having to learn. But what is what are some things that we can do as educators to kind of help with this media literacy concept? I'm going to give you two examples of things. If I were in the classroom, I would be doing them uh, as as often as possible. One, so many of our schools are one-to-one now. All of our kids have, have devices. I would um, have what I would call the Googler, uh, the, the student in the room who has their Chromebook open and Google open. And anytime we have a question about a fact or or anything that we're discussing in class, I would try to find an opportunity in every class, uh, in every class, to ask the student to Google something and present us with um, an answer, and that gives us in real time the opportunity to say, to analyze and evaluate a source, to to ask those hard questions of wait. Am I going to believe them? Am I going to believe this information just because it's on a website that looks really good uh, and looks really authoritative as though authoritative is a look? Um, um, So that's one thing I would do. Another thing is I've been giving out this idea at least for 12 years. And I've yet 
to find, and it's a good idea. I still believe in it. And so if anybody wants to take me up on this, email me and I will support you 100%. And that is this. In any of our classes where your students are, are learning a concept, are becoming, we'll say, experts with air quotes around experts on a topic, I would challenge a teacher to go to Wikipedia and see if there's a Wikipedia page on that topic. Let's just say I'm in Texas. So let's just say um, in seventh grade, I think we still do it in seventh grade, Texas history, um, because in the great state of Texas, we still require Texas history for graduation. Um, in our Texas history class, your students are going to become experts on uh, the, the Alamo. So after you've gone through all of your lessons on the Alamo, I would go to Wikipedia and I would have the kids examine that Wikipedia page. Or if it's a topic that, you, that there isn't a Wikipedia page about, create it. Create a Wikipedia page. Have your students create a Wikipedia page where they give the facts and information and sources for their information. And then over the course of your school year, keep going back and seeing how other people edit your information and have your student. I mean, that could be such a valuable experience to students. One, going back to our Alamo example of them questioning maybe facts that, that are, are given in the current Alamo Wikipedia page, them um, uh, arguing uh, uh, information and supporting what they believe is correct information. Um, I think those, I think, as, as you said, we've, we've thankfully, we've, we've quit just saying Wikipedia is bad. And instead, I think we can use it as a quality tool to help develop these skills of analyzing and evaluating uh, information and sources. Another thing you do in, in the lower grades is pulling up a website and identifying the parts of a website. Uh, right. Like we said, fact and opinion, what is uh, and a news and a news source, where are, how, what do um, true news sources, what do those look like compared to opinion pieces? And being able to identify those pieces, being able to identify clickbait. Just, I mean, I remember when I was in school, we would have a lesson probably in fourth or fifth grade where the teacher would hand out newspapers to all of us and we had to identify the pieces of a newspaper. Right. For some reason, I'm not seeing us doing that with online sources. So that, those right. are just, those are a few examples of ways we could do it easily and cheaply. Perfect. And thank you so much for joining us today. What, you know, are there any other points? I know you wanted to share about your upcoming webinar. So are there any other points um, of discussion or sharing that you would like to do for this topic or for Neptune Navigate? Yeah, we are going to go in depth uh, on April 18th. Um, if you want more, if you want to see some examples, we're going to get, I'm going to do that on April 18th. I think it's at 11 o'clock, but um, you can catch us on, on YouTube after the fact. Um, 
where we're going to go in depth. I'll give you some 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 uh, more uh, concrete examples on on this topic of media literacy. Look, it is it is vitally important. It matters that we um, are uh, not being easily duped. That we um, are able to um, tell the difference between fact and opinion. Um, our students desperately need us to help them develop that ability um, because they're being overloaded with information from every side. Uh, so this is a topic that we don't need to ignore and we don't need to assume that our digital natives are experts because they're not. So give it time, give it attention, please. Perfect. And if you want to register for that webinar, um, you can visit NCEA's webinar page. Um, and to learn more information about Neptune Navigate, you can visit their website, neptunenavigate.com, um, or our NCEA link, which is neptunenavigate.com backslash contact dash us dash NCEA. Christina, thank you so much for joining us again today. Thank you. It's been great. 